0: You know, today is the day that God has ordained to have a fresh move of the spirit blow amongst us. If you're if you're hungry and thirsty for more, why don't if you're either here in the auditorium, if you're sitting in the garden lounge or if you're watching this online at home, why don't you actually just declare out right now to God and say to Jesus, Jesus, I am hungry and thirsty for more of you. Yeah, and amen God, pour out this morning pour out amongst us this morning I pray. Now we're we're continuing on our series in the book of Matthew which I started uh, at the beginning of the year and today we're getting into Matthew 3 but let me just give you a little bit of of a recap of some of the stuff that we've discovered so far as we've gone through the first two chapters and if you remember in the first talk I, I highlighted that the very first verse of the New Testament, the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew, identified that Je- uh, pointed straight to Jesus and identified that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one who would come to save, and identified that Jesus was the Son of David, the promised one who would sit on the throne of, of God's kingdom for eternity, and identified that. Uh, Jesus was the son of Abraham, the one who has promised that all blessing would flow through. And Matthew made these uh, incredible claims. And it, when we look back on, uh, from our perspective where we've grown up with this, it, it doesn't come across as quite as incredible as if you'd been in uh, a, a Jewish person in the nation of Israel at the time that Matthew wrote this gospel. That would have been an incredible claim for a a Jewish person who wasn't yet a believer. Now, I I need to remind you that Matthew was a a radically saved disciple of Jesus, but he was a Jew. He He was Hebrew. And the nature of how he wrote his gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is it has a very Hebrew flavor to it. And as we read through and as we study the, the Gospel of Matthew, we need to actually try and put a lens on our glasses which it says, I'm reading this like a Hebrew. So it, it just shifts some of our understanding and, and our perspective of what Matthew is saying. And, and for that reason, when we look at chapter 1, remember, he after he'd made those claims, he then started to put some proof together, if you're a Jewish Uh, person reading this one of the things which was very powerful was genealogy and we see that chapter one has a genealogy uh, and in fact um, Jesus is the only person alive today who is able to trace his genealogy back to King David he's the only one and it's really important to Jewish people he's the only one who can actually claim a right to sit on the throne of King David which was Uh, in spiritual sense, is to sit on the throne of God's kingdom for eternity. And then we looked at chapter 2, and we found that there's another aspect that Matthew used to really show uh, evidence to a Jewish person who was reading the gospel that his initial claims in verse 1 of chapter 1 were true, and that was the fulfillment of prophecy, and prophecy fulfillment was incredibly important to Jewish people. And we'll actually, as as we work our way through the book of Matthew, you'll see that there are numerous times when Matthew uses a phrase like, it was written. And we can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophetic right through the Old Testament. And so then we we come to chapter 3. And for me, chapter 3, the first two chapters are about making a claim and showing evidence. Very focused on that. To me, chapter 3 is really an introduction to what the rest of the gospel is about. And we'll, we'll discover that it's, it's really about what it, uh, uh, an introduction to becoming a kingdom believer follower of God. And the whole rest of the gospel explains what that looks like. And when we, in fact, when you get to uh, the end of Matthew in chapter 28, just at the very, very end, the last thing that Jesus said is everything that you've read in this gospel, go and teach and demonstrate it to others, baptising nations, creating disciples who will actually continue into the kingdom, which is us, folks. And it's also what we should be doing. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. That's in a few months' time. Quite a few months' time, probably. Okay, so let's start looking at chapter three. So, what, what we're going to do is go through chapter three. I'll highlight a bit of explanation as we go as we go through it, and then we uh, then I'll really want to unpack what this chapter is about and what it means to us. So let's start looking at chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist. So. First thing to highlight, John the Baptist was the one who was foretold to come in the spirit of Elijah. And 400 years ago, the last prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, had said this in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Note that he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. So John the Baptist was the promised person who was coming in the spirit of Elijah. And he came with this message. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is the very starting point for for what Matthew's gospel is about. It's about the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the other gospels, they call it the kingdom of God. But you've got to remember that Matthew was Jewish. And Jewish people did not like using the, the name of God very often. So Matthew will put in kingdom of heaven most of the time, whereas some of the other gospel writers will put in kingdom of God. It's the same thing. And okay. uh, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, which comes from Isaiah chapter 40. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now when Isaiah was prophesying this, which was quite a few years before even Matthew wrote the gospel, which is over 2,000 years before we're reading this today, uh, the roads weren't good. So it wasn't like, you know, Rome, they... In the Roman Empire, they created fairly good roads to travel on. Back then, when Isaiah was writing this, the roads weren't good. Rockies, rough, different. Whenever someone from royalty was traveling along, they would get people to go before them and actually clean up the road to make it easier for them to travel. And when Isaiah is prophesying this, saying, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, he's saying that John the Baptist coming before Jesus was clearing the path, making it easy for Jesus to actually start his ministry. So John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. And again, Matthew's just emphasizing that this was the one who came in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, and uh, people knew, uh, would, would have, Jewish people would have understood this because back in King Ahab's day when Elijah was around, he uh King Ahab was they're in the middle of the famine, they they were out looking for Elijah because Elijah has said, Don't let it rain for until I say it will. And he sent a servant to find Elijah, and the and servant found Elijah, and then came back to King Ahab with a message. And King Ahab wanted to make sure it was Elijah, and he said, What did he look like? And in 2 Kings 1, verse 8, it says, They replied, He had a garment of hair and a, a, and had a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, Knowing by the description, This was Elijah the Tishbite. And of course John the Baptist's comes. were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized him in the Jordan River. Now it's really interesting, you know, baptism wasn't new at this point. Uh, baptism was actually something that occurred in, in the Israel nation uh, before then and it was reserved for people who are from other nations who wanted to actually become part of the Jewish nation so they, they might have said well actually where I come from isn't so good I've been here, I love what I see I love that the fact that God has a blessing on this nation or, or something along those lines I want to become part of this Jewish nation and so, what the Jewish people would do is that it baptised them, and the the whole process of going through baptism was to say, actually, I'm leaving my old life behind, and I'm coming part of this nation, living under a new, new realm and a new uh, expectation of who I am. And it, and so, John the Baptist takes that imagery and turns it turns it into actually. Um, I'm turning away from what I thought is right and I'm turning back to God to follow what he says is right. Changing the authority over my life. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you not think you can say yourselves to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you, you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. And, uh, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes on our lives, he just burns up that which isn't necessary. When we let him come in and fill us afresh, which we'll be doing this morning, he just burns up which isn't necessary. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, "Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness." Then John consented, and theologians have a, um, a few thoughts as to why Jesus needed to be baptized. Because Jesus was perfect; he was already the the Son of God. And the the one that the explanation that really resonates with me is, in fact, stepping back a little bit, a couple of weeks ago, Anna was talking about, um, in in her last talk, she referenced the separation of water. And she talked about how time and again through the Bible there is separation uh, of water, and it symbolizes uh, going from chaos into some new reality, some shift and change. And she even read this these verses out of chapter 3 here and identified that you know, the whole concept of baptism is that you're going from shifting out of one place into another and so for me the reason Jesus got baptised is up to that point he'd been Jesus the carpenter and what he was saying by being, uh, going through the waters of baptism is now I'm leaving that behind and I'm moving into the call that God has on my life for ministry and eventually the cross. That makes sense. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, so let's start to... Have a look at what this chapter actually means to us. So, a little bit of an aside. Uh, Most of you know I enjoy mountain biking. One of the the things that, one of the aspects I really enjoy about uh, mountain biking is what I'd call going on adventure rides, where we, uh, Carl and Mike and myself, we uh, often go riding together. And and each year uh, we tend to try and go on a big ride, an all day event. Uh, uh, well, Mike, not so much these days. <laughs> uh, we, uh, one of the first ones we did was the Big River Ride out of Reefton, which uh, um, is a, an incredible trip. You get to see fantastic parts of the country. Um, a, a couple of years ago, Carl and I did the Hiwi Track where we uh, had a... a Jumped on a light plane from Karama, flew across to the other end, with the bikes hanging off the wings, and then we spent 10 hours riding, riding back. We got back when it was dark. The last part of the track we were on it has 17 Ks, It was a 100k ride in a day, and it had, um, over 4,000 meters of climbing. And um, uh, the last part of the track, we were it was getting dark. Fortunately we had some lights for us and then a uh, 17K is on the road in complete darkness heading back to Karamea. Now the thing about these rides is if we try to do them at the start of summer we would kill ourselves. Uh, during winter it gets really cold. Do we, have you noticed that? And so our training drops off significantly and the weight goes on. And uh, so if we're going to do a, an adventure ride, which is great, you, you need to get yourself prepared for the ride. And two things that I have found help in, incredibly with doing this. One is losing weight. So by the end of winter, I'm normally about 95 kgs. About now, I'm, I got on the scales this morning, and it said 85, so, which is not a, not a bad weight for me. When I was running... Uh, doing 100 miles a week uh, years ago the lowest I could get down to was just under 75 kgs and I was skin and bone so 85 is not a bad weight weight for me so one of the things to do that is really important is to lose weight because when you're pushing your bike uphill the less weight you have to carry makes a big difference absolute big difference you know, we see Mike roaring off ahead of us because he's only about 60 kgs it's, The, the other thing that you need to do is build strength. Build strength into these things here. And you, you um, which is why we do longer rides and we do lots of uphills. And yesterday Carl and I did nearly a 90k K ride with a bit of hill work in between just to actually build that strength into our legs. Two things. You need to lighten and you need to build strength. And this chapter in Matthew chapter 3 is exactly about that for our journey with God. It's about becoming light and building strength. Do you get that? It's about coming, becoming light and building strength. And it brings that out in, in two aspects about repenting and about being filled with the Spirit. Repenting is becoming light being filled with the Spirit, is building strength. And it's interesting that the Israel nation, if they they weren't expecting this, they should have been. It was prophesied so many times in the Old Testament. And uh, at the moment, I'm reading through the uh, book of Ezekiel, uh, one one of the major prophets, and Came across these couple of verses here, which are relevant. Ezekiel 33, verses uh, verse 10. Son of man, say to the Israelites, This is what you are saying: Our offences and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, which is repent. Turn from your evil ways, why will you die people of Israel you know, the Old Testament was telling the nation of Israel to turn to God and that's what the message that John the Baptist uh, was bringing was repent, turn back to God and then in chapter 37 verse 14 verse it says I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And up, up to, during the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had only been given to specific people at specific times for specific things. Ezekiel is saying that we will all receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which will enable us to live. And the, the, uh, when Peter spoke at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and he, and he preached a fantastic sermon. And he, and he said, this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied. And here Ezekiel is do, doing the same thing, is that there was a promised Holy Spirit that was going to be poured out so that all people who turn back to God can be empowered to live a great life. Is anyone excited about that? <laughs> You're very quiet. Although I think I heard the garden lounge going, yay! Then in Ezekiel 37, verse 23, they will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. It's God who does it. And he's telling the nation of Israel, you've tried, you've tried and tried and you keep backsliding, you keep turning away from me but I will give you the strength to overcome. And he says in verse 24, my servant David who is Jesus will be prophesying about Jesus will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd, they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. Lightening the load, building strength. So let's look a little bit closer at lightening the load, which is repentance. Something that we often don't like talking about because it means we have to do something which we don't always enjoy. So, And sometimes we think repentance is just saying sorry to God, but it is so much more than that. And let me just unpack some of the steps that are involved in repentance. First of all, we need to realise that we need to repent. And if you're here... if whether you're in the garden lounge or whether you're in here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then you need to realize that there is a place that that for you to become a follower of Jesus, you actually need to decide that you're going to turn from your old ways and put Jesus in charge. That's what repenting means. It's that we're turning from us being in charge to putting God in charge. But if you're here as a believer, then it's an ongoing process that that, uh, as we become more and more Christ-like, there's always going to be things that we actually need to um, see shift and change and repent of. But we need to understand, or we need to realise our need for repentance. And uh, I became a Christian at the age of 13, and uh, we had the joy and privilege of seeing the rest of my family come to the Lord, and also many of our cousins. And there's one, one lot of um, cousins who lived in Nelson, and they had a batch and. Lake Rotawiti so we would go and stay with them in the school holidays in their their batch and we, we watched um, the more come to the Lord. The the dad he, he was an alcoholic and he was completely set free from alcoholism when he gave his life to Jesus. The um, the youngest, they, they have four boys, the youngest son is a, today a pastor down in Omaru, uh, the one that's uh, the same age as me, he was a Used pastor for many years, and uh, then also an elder at Annisbrook uh, Church for, for many years after that. Um, I remember one time we were at this batch, and, and the mum wasn't yet a Christian. Everyone else was basically, she was on her own, really. She had no chance. But, <laughs> but I remember we were having this conversation with her, and she said, Look, Why do I need to become a Christian? I'm a good person. I don't cheat on my husband, I don't get drunk. I spend all my time raising up these four boys. and I, I help out in the community. Why do I need to become a Christian? I'm a good person. And she hadn't yet realized her need of a savior. And this is step one. Of course, she did become a Christian, a fantastic lady. She's still alive. We, when we go up to Katerian uh, Christmas, every so often we'll go and visit them and catch up with them. They're awesome people. But, um, we need... Whatever is going on in our lives, there is, an, we actually have to come to the point where we realise that there's something that we need to repent of, and the Holy Spirit will convict us of that. And that brings us to the next point. Part of repentance is there actually needs to be sorrow. We need to actually say, hey, "I'm sorry for this." And Second Corinthians chapter seven verse ten it says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret." but worldly sorrow brings death. And so there's two types of sorrow. And the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction. The devil comes and brings condemnation. Two types of sorrow. And you, You're probably familiar with this. But uh, sometimes when I'm ministering to people, and one of the things that I might do is say, look, let's just see if there's any barriers here at the moment. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's anything that you actually need to repent of. And i say, you'll know it's the Holy Spirit because it'll be specific. You'll think of a specific time, a specific place, and a specific event that you can actually repent of. And the Holy Spirit will give you a solution how to actually solve that. The Holy Spirit is quite specific. In fact, uh, uh, there's a verse in Corinthians which my paraphrase is, uh, goes something like this. Don't think you're unique. You're tempted and you, you'll have temptations and trials the same as what people have had before you. But we can really trust God because he know he won't allow us to, to have temptations that we can't cope with. And while we're in the middle of that temptation, he's going to give us the ability to go through or get out of what we're in. So that's a Robert Norris paraphrase. But the Holy Spirit will be very specific when he's revealing things that we need to repent of. Whereas the devil, he'll just come along and say things like, oh, you're hopeless. You're always just messing up. Why do you even bother? And we start just getting this sense of condemnation and dragged down, and the Bible says that leads to death. So we really need to tap into the Holy Spirit and get that conviction, so that we can realise you know, we we do need things that we have to repent of, and then we need to confess. And John, uh, the Baptist, brought this out. In John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness." And so repentance means that we're turning away from sin and darkness and death and turning towards God and light and life. It is that turning. Acts twenty twenty one says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Acts eleven eighteen says, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, uh, Paul said in one of his letters, don't give the enemy a foothold. And if we allow sin in our lives, and sin isn't just uh, murdering someone or getting angry, it's anything that sets itself up above Jesus in our lives. And if we give the enemy a foothold, Well, if we have sin in our lives, we give an enemy a foothold, and repentance is one of our power weapons for removing footholds from the enemy. If we turn from anything that is blocking the, um, or is setting itself above Jesus in our lives, we will remove footholds that gives the enemy permission to wreak havoc around us. Now, it's not the only reason the enemy might wreak havoc but it's certainly one of the ones that we can actually overcome and repentance is a power tool that does that. Am I making sense? Peter said this in Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which is where we move into the next phase of the talk this morning. See, repentance gets rid of the muck, gets rid of the chaff. It makes us light so that we don't have to carry as much burden up the hill when we're on the bike. Being filled with the Spirit is the strength that we need. Being filled with the Spirit is the strength that we need. And in Ephesians, we're told to go on being filled with the Spirit, to go on continually be filled with the Spirit. It's not just enough to have a one-off experience. You know, as we are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is incredible. He's He's God, so He's got to be incredible. But by being filled with the Spirit, there's so many things that can. Uh, that it gives us strength for. So, obviously, there are the gifts of the Spirit which, which we start to function in. And, and Miriam talked about the hairdresser who went to actually pray for healing for someone. And we can see that we start to pray for healing for people and we'll see healing take place. And we uh, can have prophetic words and we can have words of wisdom and knowledge and all sorts of different power things that can take place. We grow and we, we can experience faith. The, um, my father. Uh, before he became a Christian, uh, we, there's, there's this tent Crusade out at Ranguro with um, uh, an American evangelist preaching there. and uh, Dad was really anti-Christian. If you actually he, he got really angry if we ever start talking about God at home. And uh, somehow he said he was going to come to this Tenth Crusade meeting. And I remember, I remember uh, he was at, at a job somewhere and he hadn't come home and he hadn't come home and, and mum said, oh, it's, it's no good, he's not going to come. And I just had this gift of faith, rise up and me and I said, he will be there. And I cleared that out. And then I had to head down, uh, my brother and I, Tony, we were on parking duty, so I was down there and next thing when mum and dad turned up, just before the meeting started, I could, you could have knocked me over. Even though I had that gift of faith when I declared that out, that actually seeing it take place was, a, to me, it was a real miracle. And you'd have to know my father to under, understand how that might, might have been. So we can, we can, by being filled with the Spirit, there's gifts that we can operate in. And then by being filled with the Spirit, we become more Christ-like. We grow in fruit of the Spirit. And we, you know, we can experience greater love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control as the Holy Spirit comes on us and, and actually starts to grow these things, these what the Bible calls fruit within us. And then, of course, we have the power to overcome sin. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. He, even in the Old Testament, they, as we read in Ezekiel, God's saying, "It's you can't do this on your own. You need me to help you. That's why I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can actually overcome and be victorious and see uh, the effects of sin and the uh, being able broken off your life and being able to overcome temptation? Is anyone excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to do it? Perhaps the band would like to come up. Now, uh, quite a few years ago now when the auditorium was the other way around we were having a time of, of praying for people to be filled with the spirit and I remember I was ministering to a young young lady and uh, it's the only time I've experienced this but it, um, as I was praying for her to be filled uh, fresh with the spirit I'm not sure, I can't remember whether she'd never had this before or, or being praying for someone to be filled with the spirit but anyway and as I was praying for it, I just, uh, I can't I honestly can't describe whether it was with my physical eyes or my spiritual eyes, but I just saw something descending onto her, and so I started to say the Holy Spirit is coming on you now, and before I got to the word now she was launched, she was standing there, she was launched basically to the back of the stage, and uh, she spent the next half hour just lying there in God's presence, and I'm sure she had an incredible time. i can tell you what, as a person ministering I had an incredible time as just realizing that God is so, so good that He'd use someone like me to actually um, take, uh, be part of that ministry and just seeing something incredible like that happen. And time and again, I've just seen people being impacted so much by the Holy Spirit coming, coming upon them. So this morning, we, we want to do two things we want to get lighter and we want to get stronger. Who's up for that? If you if you can stand with me. If if you if you want to pray this this prayer please do, if whether you're here in the garden lounge or, or at home. And what we're going to start off by is, is to get lighter. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there's anything that we need to repent of, which is to turn. And we can confess that to God and say, God, I, I want to get rid of this. I need your strength to do it, but I'll do anything it takes to, to put this right. So let's invite that. And remember that when the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction, it will be specific. If you're just sensing someone saying that basically I'm a bad person then you can reject that. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit as we wait on you please reveal to us if there's anything that we need to repent of and turn away from anything that's elevated itself above who you are Jesus. Bring that revelation right now. have to force it if nothing comes that's fine, praise God but if the Holy Spirit revealing something to you can I encourage you just to put that right with God right now turn back to God if you're not yet a follower of Jesus you might actually want to take the opportunity to say Jesus I haven't been following you up to now, but I want to from now on. Please forgive me and come into my life. Thank you, Lord. And as the band leads us in this, next song, if you want to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, if you want to receive a fresh touch, fresh anointing, fresh empowering, building strength can I encourage you to come forward and um, we'll have people here who will come they'll lay hands on you and they'll just uh, release declare, pray that God will fill you afresh God made us a body and he, he wants us to actually help Inshallah. God bless your church.